2: hey welcome to the E weekly show and i'm your host todd devoe and
1: daniel scott good morning
2: so this today it's awesome um i am bringing on a friend of mine who is running for the iaem second vice uh president uh position and uh you know i i'm endorsing him 100 and because i know him well and i think he'd do a great job um in the position and Brian Scott uh, is is an accomplished executive in government, private nonprofit sectors. He has extensive experience in emergency management, crisis, and school safety. Uh, he is really involved in things in Nevada, really trying to to make emergency management um, even better there. And he responded to the uh, the shooting there in, in Vegas, the Vegas shooting. Um, how many years ago? Is a couple of years ago now, and. And he's done so much work with that, working with the victims as well. So he was the uh, 2015 finalist for the Governor's Point of Light Award. And he was a 2018 IEM uh, National Emergency Manager Volunteer of the Year. And he's done a lot of volunteer work as well. And I, I think it's it's awesome. So, Brian, welcome to Ian Weekly.
0: Thanks a lot. Good to see you, Todd and uh, Daniel. Good to see you both. Good morning, Brian.
2: So, Brian. Why are you running? Uh,
0: Well, you know, you mentioned my background a little bit. Um, I do kind of, I come in emergency management from kind of two angles. Uh, I work professionally for the state of Nevada uh, in charter school education. Uh, We have 67 campuses and about 50,000 kids. So we, uh, uh, I, I help develop emergency operations plans, develop the charter school safety committee. So we try to get them good information. Uh, to develop plans and make uh, uh, campuses safe. But also, like you said, from the volunteer point, a number of years ago, uh, I got assigned actually through my church to uh, be the emergency manager in the state of Nevada. And I cover parts of California and Arizona as well. Um, And then I became, uh, if you're familiar, most I know you guys are, but most of your listeners would be familiar with COADs or VOADs, but I became the chair of the Southern Nevada VOAD, which is Voluntary Organizations Active in Disaster, became the chair of Southern Nevada. And then uh, the morning after the October shooting, I was called by the Clark County Fire Department, City of Las Vegas to come in and oversee spiritual emotional care and then donations management, volunteer management for the Family Assistance Center. So I think my background is good. I I love to serve. Um, Again, I've served in a lot of volunteer areas and I just saw this as another unique opportunity on how to elevate the uh, profession of emergency management and also be a national spokesperson. I mean, you know, the I have connections at FEMA, I have connections on the state and local levels, and, you know, we're, we're going through a, at least an economic recession or turndown right now. Maybe, hopefully, it's just uh, minimal or temporary, but, um, you know, uh, we need people to stand up for the emergency management field. A lot of people feel that emergency management is sometimes an afterthought, and we need to make sure that it's not, because it's vitally important to our communities. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if you get, uh, so if you get,
1: I'm hearing some feedback, I'm sorry. So if you get elected, um, what do you, how do you expect that you will be able to, uh, what do you expect to be able to bring to the organization to aid in the um, advancement of emergency management?
0: Well, I think again, the leadership component comes in, as Todd mentioned, I, I have been executive director of a couple of state agencies. I've worked with police and fire in both of those capacities um, and emergency managers. Like I said, I'm on the local emergency planning committee for Southern Nevada. I'm also on the committee that hands out Homeland Security grants. And so I think my background is good. I've, I've uh, been the executive director of not only state agencies, but nonprofits and uh, volunteer organizations. So I think the leadership component is good. I also think that, um, you know, again, a lot of agencies out there sometimes shy away from volunteers. And I think I have some expertise there to help them develop their volunteer programs. I mean, if budgets are going to be tight, it would be nice if you could reach out and, um, and, and find some organizations, some trusted organizations that you could bring in and help you. It may be in areas that you can't uh, you can't finance right now because of budget cuts. Um, Like I said, I'm, you know, I don't know if I consider myself a, 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 you know, sweet C level executive, but my point is is that I'm I'm been involved in the community, I've run organizations, I've run businesses, but I'm still actively involved in the volunteer organizations and emergency management. So I think that you you can go to people and bring them in regardless of what level they are at in the business society to have them come in and help and use those skills. So I think I can help people figure out a way to better utilize those resources.
2: What's your vision yeah. for a
0: well, you know, obviously, IAEM is uh, a training organization. Uh, we have conferences and uh, lots of workshops and and information on how to be a better emergency manager. It's obviously the credentialing arm of the uh, emergency managers, uh, not only in the United States, but in worldwide. Um, and so that's an important program. Um, but again, I think that, you know, we can uh, broaden the um You know, not everybody that belongs to IAEM is a certified emergency manager again I think it's a great credential to have. Um, But I think that there are other individuals out there that are in emergency management who may not be members at this point and may not have to have that certification but they would be a valuable asset so I think reaching out broadening the membership, um, I think the IAEM has done a tremendous job. uh, you know, the conferences and workshops that I've been involved with have been top notch. They brought in uh, great talent. They always do good um, conferences. This year it's gonna be virtual. Um, I think it was gonna be in Long Beach, but now it's gonna be virtual. So it'll be new like everything else is in the virtual world right now, but they always do a really top notch job. And again, I just wanna continue in that that, uh, vein of leadership to make sure that emergency managers are supported on the local state and federal levels.
1: So how long have you actually been involved in the IEM organization?
0: Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I, um, I joined in 1992. So it was a long time ago. I was the public information officer for the Las Vegas Valley Water District here in town. And Most of our emergencies were kind of internal. We would break a water main. We would uh, backhoe would separate a gas line and burn down a condo or, you know, something, something had to do with call before you dig sort of stuff. So I, um, I was, I had joined then. And then my, my career path kind of veered away. I went into more public relations and marketing. I ran my own company here in Las Vegas for about 20 years. And then um, uh, back in 2011, I went back to work for the state of Nevada. I was—I had sat on a bunch of boards and commissions over the years, governor appointed positions, but they had an opening for what's called the Employee Management Relations Board, which is kind of the Nevada equivalent of the National Labor Relations Board. And so I dealt with all of the cities, counties, police, fire, sheriff, emergency management, any any sort of local government organization dealt with them on collective bargaining issues. So I drove around the state meeting with, again, these organizations. And then um, when I got my my master's degree, my MPA, the only thing that sounded interesting was an emphasis in emergency management. So I got that. Um, and then from there, um, I left that state position to actually work in emergency management on a volunteer basis for a couple of years. I I again, I got my assignment through my church and then I got involved in VOAD and um, then uh, reconnected with the IAEM. Uh, and again, it was kind of funny when I went back to reconnect, it wouldn't let me open my account. And I wondered why, and it was because I'd had account, an account from 1992. So it was kind of blocking me. So, um, like I said, and then I, so I've kind of come on, like I said, both ways, both professionally. And then this last time I came back through kind of through volunteer service and, uh, you know, Todd mentioned, and I'd love to talk about it a little bit later, but you know, um, the, the one October shooting in Las Vegas, I'd like to talk, you know, if you have some time about that, because again, that was a real, uh, uh, obviously a real serious incident, touched my heart a lot, got to know a lot of people and love a lot of uh, emergency managers and firefighters through that whole uh, situation there. I'm um, reaching out to the victims and their families. So um, that's kind of how I came about with IEM, kind of full circle over the number of decades.
2: What do you think we can do to improve IEM and the outreach?
0: Well, I think in any organization, really, What's good is to kind of ask individuals what they need. Um, You know, people sometimes in organizations, and and I'm not singling out the IAEM, but, you know, we we kind of think historically or traditionally we know what people need. And so we offer those types of programs. And it would be nice to reach out to emergency managers. I mean, I was speaking to a friend of mine who is a Henderson fire uh, fighter yesterday and was asking him about, you know, kind of like mental health and, uh, you know, response on what happens when they go through a traumatic event. And, you know, he had some suggestions on what could make that type of program better. So I think reaching out to those who have the boots on the ground, who maybe need, you know, some, uh, some suggestions on how to be a better emergency manager, how to do planning better. I mean, those there are lots of resources through FEMA and other groups, but I think the IAEM again, does a wonderful job on the credentialing. I think they do a good job of training. But I think if we you know reach out to those with boots on the ground and say, "What is it that you really need?" Because you know, as you know, we all went to the executive academy together at FEMA. Uh, people have lots of opinions about government agencies, nonprofit organizations, and it'd be nice to see what uh, what strength they have. So in, in a
1: lot of that what you just said um, comes back to um, uh, mentoring and having a good mentoring uh, uh, system in place. Hmm. And, and and Todd and I have had this conversation before. How can we um, as, as as emergency management professionals uh, aid AEM? to increase mentoring programs? Because I know right now, and me and you have had this conversation, Brian, uh, um, there's a disconnect there between those who uh, are really experienced emergency managers and those who come out of the field of maybe being educated and want to be an emergency manager and the difference that are there. So how do we bridge that gap with IAM to increase the mentoring that takes place between those who are really experienced and those who are educated?
0: Um, you know, again, I think I think a big component of that is communications. Um, uh, you know, again, until until an emergency manager is kind of thrown into a, a, a big emergency, they they get a lot of book knowledge and they, they have some planning experience. But when you're kind of thrust into a, a, a big disaster, you you learn a lot. Um, I think, like I said, what you and Todd do and what we did at the Executive Academy, uh, you know, getting together, having discussions, offering to mentor people. I mean, you know, part of my campaign has been, look, connect with me on LinkedIn and here's my phone number and here's my email address. Let's talk. So, you know, keeping that conversation going, um, you know, obviously in your local organizations, your local communities, reach out to those, like you said, who may not have as much experience. And again, I know Daniel, you and Todd are, are, are mentors uh, to a lot of individuals. Um, but like I said, you're absolutely right. We've got to bring up a new generation of emergency managers who have that experience and know that there are people that they can call like myself and you and Todd and and have their questions answered and uh, be willing to uh, make a call on their behalf or find some training for them. So uh, again, the mentoring process is extremely important. And um, you know, maybe there's something we could do on a national level. I always like it when when I go to um, you know, national conventions. And I think there ought to be a little bit more networking there. I, I think I saw something where they were going to try some new things on the virtual. And I, and I think that's very important. I love to network. Uh, I love when people connect with me on LinkedIn. I love when they ask questions. I like to share documents just for reference. Like we've, I, I sat on some school reopening committees and some health district committees and I've been sharing those documents. So I, I'd love to have those conversations. So you're absolutely right. Mentoring is extremely important. And you have
1: a, a pretty, you know, vast background, you know, as far as like what what you've done and um, what would you consider yourself now? I mean, you, it sounds like you have a, a good background of both a practitioner and both administrator. What would you consider yourself now when it comes to being an emergency management professional more on the practitioner side or more towards the administrative side?
0: Uh, well, you know, as I mentioned and you brought up, I wear a, do- a bunch of different hats and. Um, as far as the administrator side as deputy director of the state agency overseeing these charter schools um you know we, there's a certain amount of administration that goes on there but these schools at least in nevada annually have to submit an emergency operations plan we have drill requirements for drills and schools and so we want to make sure that they had great information so we put together a charter school safety committee uh, where we bring about we normally get 60 or 70 people to attend or virtually we've done them now And we we bring in people that have, uh, you know, people in local community that deal with mental health, that deal with, we have a Safe Voice program in schools. We bring in some Harbor, which are basically some wraparound programs for some of our students. Um, And so... uh, I can I kind of consider myself a little bit of both. I've got obviously the administrative background, but especially on the volunteer area where I sit on the the local uh, multi agency coordination center, the local emergency planning committee. I get together with all of the uh, the the local fire emergency management agencies throughout Southern Nevada. Um, I sat down at the uh, the mat during the um, New Year's Eve, which was interesting because I usually go to bed now about eight o'clock on New Year's Eve, but. Uh, uh, went down there and stayed up till about 2 o'clock this last New Year's Eve um, and then, uh, you know, got called in uh, like I said, after the 1 October shooting to come in and and uh, you know, those are 18 to 20 hour days um, so again, a little bit of both you know, uh, practical experience as well as administration and I think that's kind of a bonus that you get with me is that I'm not just talking from a textbook, and I'm not just talking from experience, I kind of have a, a blend of both
2: There's a question There's a- from the um, comment section here and it's basically uh, about EM directors uh, throughout through internationally speaking and the question was how do you see your ability to move to, to ability to forward the efforts I see what you saying so in the idea of international how do we how do we see the ability to to move the IEM internationally as well.
0: Um well you know you probably remember from our executive academy we had an uh, individual Andrew Friend who had done emergency management in the uh uh, uh uh the so middle east say. was was extremely exciting to hear what he had to say when he gave his presentations um and again i think when we go over there You know, if we're ever called upon to go over temporarily to a different country, just be a good ambassador. I mean, I think it's like spreading the good word of anything. You know, here we are, we have a great organization, but I think, uh, and again, the mentoring process, you know, I have people that connect with me from the UK and different countries uh, in emergency management with the military. So, again, I think us being good representatives when we go to other countries, helping them out. Um, but, again, the, uh, the it, it's the International Association of Emergency Managers. And so, again, I think uh, broadening our scope and helping people in other countries. And, again, there's lots of devastating emergencies and disasters that happen in other countries. And I think as we go over there, again, just continuing to build those relationships, uh, I think there's a good way to start.
2: Absolutely. Well, hey, we're going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, let's talk a little bit about your response uh, to the October shooting in Vegas.
0: Sounds great.
1: Seconds count during an emergency. That's why at
0: Titan HST, we're always inventing new technology to help people stay safe and help people who can provide help get connected with people who need help. At Titan HST, we've deployed mesh networking allowing emergency communication even when networks are down, augmented reality and real-time translation. We believe in the power of people to help each other stay safe and thrive.
2: Are you looking for that bag to help you keep organized as you travel around? Something you can carry with you every day? Well, VanQuest was founded with a simple mission: build the toughest bags and packs for you to carry every day and to help you stay organized and prepared. VanQuest has been making the ultra-durable bags and packs since 2011, and their bags and packs are trusted by the clients such as the FBI. U.S. Secret Service, and U.S. SOCOM. Yes, that is the U.S. Special Operations Command. Their bag packs offer the best organization for the user-friendly experience, such as the high visibility interior for the users. I'm telling you something, I love that orange inside the bag because I can find the things I need quickly. I love my VFS bag. Don't forget, they offer free shipping, 100-day return guarantee, and a lifetime warranty, and if you put in EM Weekly, all caps, All one word, you get 10% off your total purchase. VanQuest.com. Hey, Daniel. You know, you're talking about the fires that are burning um, up in Northern California right now. and There's a lot of them going on in California. And I know that Nevada is being impacted by the smoke coming from, from California. We like to share, Brian, when we do things here in California, we'll share with Nevada
0: as well. Yeah, we appreciate that. We actually had Washoe County schools in Reno opened up on, uh, well, they were supposed to open up Monday, but they canceled because of the smoke. And I think they canceled today. So we appreciate your sharing that with us.
2: Yeah, no problem. Um, now, here's a question for you. If those cell towers go down, um, do you know that with Titan HST, we actually have mesh networking and that so your team can still communicate? So just let, let you know, just let you know, Brian. You can still use Titan HST to communicate even when the cell towers go down. Dan is cracking up up there. All right. No, so, that sounds good. <laughs> so let's discuss. Okay, so we talked a little bit about your background and whatnot, but I and I know that this is one of those things that the role of emergency managers um, in different events. And I, I myself, you guys know my background. I responded to an active shooter as well. You know, um, we don't just sit in an office all the time. Uh, there, we have different roles, different aspects of things. How do you think we can actually really utilize emergency managers in events like the uh, the shooter that the shooting that you responded to?
0: Well, you know, at the time, again, I I, uh, I was a state employee at the time, and once the governor declared a state of emergency, I was a state resource. So I actually went down for uh, two weeks. Uh, my boss, you know, gladly. Uh, allowed me to go and I was a a state resource. So I went down and that's why I say, I think there's a lot of resources out there. If if they're state employees or maybe local government employees, um, there's a way to get them involved at, you know, little or no cost to other organizations, but they'd be able to step out. Like I was able to step out for two weeks uh, as a state employee and to serve in that capacity. So um, I I think there's some things that we could look at to, to make uh, our organizations more effective without killing the budget. What was your role well i tell you it was kind of interesting i um that sunday night which was october 1st i was actually conducting kind of a preparedness meeting at at a church here in town we were just talking about emergency plans and 72-hour kits things like that so i came home and went to bed about 10 o'clock and um, my phone didn't go off about five o'clock the next morning on monday morning i I woke up and all the Facebook pages were from my, you know, the the posts were from my family back east saying, Brian, is your family OK? Are you all right? And I didn't know what they were talking about. I immediately gauged and saw what was going on. So I um, I got up and got showered and decided I would run by the Mac on my way to work to see if they needed anything. On my way there, I got a call from the emergency manager for the city of Las Vegas and uh, Clark County Fire Department and said, could you come by the Mac? We need you to oversee spiritual, emotional care. We're going to set up a family assistance center. So I drove there, um, got out. We started doing some briefings. It was kind of interesting, uh, a lot of discussion about the media. You know, we had let the media know that we were going to open up the family assistance center at 1 p.m. that day. So Monday at 1 p.m. So the media, uh, you know, obviously announced that the family assistance center was already open. So we immediately hopped in our vehicles and drove down. We, We had it at the Las Vegas Convention Center. So we had lots of space. Um, but I got there and probably within just uh, just a few minutes, <clears throat> a, um, a mother and father and daughter walked in and uh, they had lost their daughter the night before. Uh, again, it's public knowledge. Her name is. Was- Nisa Tonks, and they shared pictures and photographs. I met with them. And, you know, when I say I was in charge of spiritual emotional care, we held hands, we cried, we listened to what they had to say. You know, it's it's about them. It was not about us and our experiences. It was about them being able to share. Um, The next individual that came in was a gentleman and his friend who had been at the concert. And again, the the night before his fiance had been killed by gunshot wounds, he held her in his arms. And so I'm listening to these stories. Um, as we sat at the Family Assistance Center, we brought in uh, airlines, hotels, Uber, Lyft, taxi. Uh, we, we eventually brought in the DMV because when they fled the concert scene, they obviously dropped their purses, their, their hats, everything. And so we were there to help them get whatever services they need. Um, I brought in uh, faith-based groups from all over the valley, and we even had some coming. We had a Jewish rabbi that brought an RV in from California. We had individuals nationwide wanting to come help. So uh, I I set up that program. Uh, I had a, a city councilman call me and say, hey, Brian, I've got three Catholic priests in my office. I don't know what to do with them. And I said, well, send them over. So they came in, and we sat with them. And like I said, we basically, as the families came in, we were working with the coroner's office, the first uh, three or four days and the families to get their loved ones identified. Um, and again, offering services mainly for the first three, four days, it was completely about the families and bringing the services they needed. After the first day, um, we had people driving from all over the Western United States, uh, bringing supplies in. We had water and food and blankets and things like that. Um, so we, uh, I made a decision when the fire department asked me to take over volunteer and donations management, as well as the spiritual emotional care, I made a decision that, you know, we ended up with somewhere in the neighborhood of probably 15 tractor trailer loads of water and Gatorade and sodas and other supplies. Um, I didn't want people to come here and offer a case of water And us tell them we don't need any water. We've got plenty. You know, I wanted them to be able to heal. So I made a decision that when they dropped supplies off and again, we had hundreds of people driving through again, we were in the convention center. We had hundreds of thousands of square foot of space. So they would drive in, we would unload their vehicles. We would sort it out. And, um, we told them that we were going to, you know, use what we could and then share it with our community partners. So at the end of the family assistance center, about three weeks later, we filled up, um, uh, Veterans Village, Share Village, Shade Tree Shelter. You know, we we basically extended out to all of the nonprofits in town that are our VOAD partners. Uh, water, food, we filled up, uh, you know, we helped to fill up the three square food bank. Uh, so, again, we thought it was a way to help the community heal. And obviously, I was just a small part of that in the fact that, you know, Chief uh, John Steinbeck, who is the fire chief for Clark County, and was the um, emergency manager at the time and the incident commander. You know, his team is amazing. The city of North Las Vegas, Henderson, Clark County, Boulder City, Mesquite, all the municipalities came in from the various agencies, social service agencies came in, and we really worked well together, um, uh, both the government agencies and nonprofits on serving individuals and getting them what they need. I still have contact with uh, family members of those who were injured during the shooting, Um, you know, contact them once in a while, make sure, you know, that, um, that, you know, again, no one ever gets over an event like that, but to make sure that they're uh, progressing Um, some of them have healed and obviously some of them have passed away, but, you know, those are kind of the ties that bind and really, uh, you know, I kind of an interesting story, uh, maybe like a year later, I saw one of the firefighters that I had worked very closely with at the Family Assistance Center, a big hulking guy, and I saw him at the local grocery store. I was running in from work to get something to eat, and I saw him, and, you know, you normally reach your hand out for a handshake, and he just grabbed me and gave me a big hug, because those are the kind of incidents that really bring you together, and the community was so wonderful, the whole whole world, the whole United States, again, we just got so much Assistance, but um, I was just basically there to organize and bring people in, and and I I did serve as a bishop in my church for five years, so I have experience in counseling and stress management issues, things like that. So I was able to 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 do that, but and and that was the most. You know, the other stuff is more administrative, like you were talking about Daniel earlier. But you know, to really sit down with these families and and let them share their thoughts about their loved ones. Um, You know there's nothing quite like that and it certainly has you know changed my mind when it comes to uh uh you know
1: incidents that family assistance center that continued on for quite a while right
0: well we were at the original family assistance center at the convention uh center for three weeks and then we we went out the, the county went out and found a place we were checking with realtors and we found a location Uh, the county came together we got um you know furniture uh they got it painted Um, we had some volunteers that went over and set up the i think they bought some of the furniture at ikea so it had to be assembled and so we got some volunteers to go over but yes that you know and that's kind of the sad thing i would bring up is that the family assistance center has done a wonderful job they reached out to those but i had two individuals who were at the shooting two friends of mine locally here And they both just kind of refused to register for benefits. You know, that's for somebody else. I don't need that. And I begged them and begged them and begged them up till the day of um, of the uh, uh, the the deadline. And um, one of them seems to be fine, and the other one, unfortunately, um, was involved in a. uh, I don't really know how to put this, but as I begged him to get counseling and help, he just didn't do it, and. Um, in April, um, the police were called to his home for a domestic disturbance, and he was drunk and pulled a weapon and uh, lost his life. And uh, my point is, I just begged and begged this individual to register for benefits. You may need him in the future. So, you know, uh, the mental health uh component of any emergency is, you know, obviously the victims and their families, but, you know, I was a second tier responder. Yeah, first tier responders. And so there needs to be debriefing. There needs to be discussion. People need to talk out these things. And, uh, you know, self-care is important. Uh, I know that most people in law enforcement, fire, emergency management, we're tough people. We don't need that sort of thing, but we really do. And I think we're getting better in the emergency management world about saying, um, Uh, you know, do you need any help? Are you doing okay? Can we talk? So I think we're good about, we're getting better about that.
2: Hey, Brian, how how can we find you and and get a hold of you and, and if they want to learn more about your running for IEM second vice president?
0: Well, certainly connect with me on LinkedIn. That's a real easy way. Uh, My, my email address is jbryanscroggins at gmail.com. That's fairly easily easy to, uh, but like I said, love to connect with you. Love to learn more about what everyone else is going through and share my experiences. And that's kind of how we grow.
2: Outstanding. Hey, everybody. I want to thank everybody for being here on the show today. Brian, thank you for your time. Thank you for the wonderful story you told about your response to um, the shooting. Very emotional. And, and uh, uh, thank you for your services as well. on, on that, that's, that was some great work there. What you did for the community. Daniel, always thank you for your time. Brian, producer Brian. Thank you for your time as well. And hey, listen, everybody, next Thursday on the 27th, um, Stitch Radio and Ian Weekly is having a webinar on how to reopen uh, after this COVID. And Brian, you're eligible, Brian Scroggins, not Brian from Stitch Radio, to win a free iPad just for signing up. Put your name inside there. Daniel, sorry, you're not eligible for for that. (laughs) But uh, everybody, we'll see you next week here on Ian Weekly. Remember... Look at first of all, follow us on Facebook, follow us on YouTube, go to your favorite podcast player, download us over there, and everybody in there in this heat that's happening across the country and everything else. Stay safe and stay hydrated <laughs>